I would just like to preface this episode by apologizing for laughing so much during the start. William was very giddy, I was very tired, was not a great combination. And secondly, I'd just like to say I'm not actually six foot nine, that's ridiculous, I'm six foot five. William thought it was hilarious to constantly overstate my height. And yeah, we had a fair few laughs about that. Enjoy the bloopers, enjoy the episode, and thank you very much for listening. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Sorry it's been a while, we haven't uploaded an episode, but Sam's been frantically studying for his exams, locked in his room by his mother, so he's finally he's finally been allowed out of the house and we can record another episode, so... Right, Sam, mm. hit us up with that intro. Hello and welcome to the Enlighten Us podcast. This is a show where we bring interesting people to come and talk about interesting things and we all learn just a little something along the way. So today we're doing a bit of a different format. It's just going to be Sam and I having a chat. I don't know, probably most of you don't know, but Sam is an absolute robot fanatic. Um, he has joined in the Robots Wars competitions. He builds robots. He's got a couple of robots at home. Um, he's well known at the Sheffield Robotics Department at the uni there, even though he's like <laughs> six <laughs> Why do you find that so funny? Start I'm again. Actually cry- I'm actually crying here. <laughs> Why did you find that so funny, Sam? <laughs> you found that so <laughs> so <laughs> dying. <laughs> He's man of the Sheffield Robotics Department. Even though he's six foot nine. So uh, now that we've verified that Sam is well known. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, so now that we've uh, we've verified that Sam's well known at the robotics department at Sheffield University, yeah, you won a couple of competitions there. He made this like three D printed hand. He's got three D printer. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a geek. He's a bit of a nerd, but he's gonna he's gonna share and enlighten us with some of his knowledge about robots today. So maybe just have a little discussion about robotics, AI, self driving cars, and Sam had a pretty cool ethical dilemma caused by self driving cars. So maybe just start off with that sam if you just tell us some more yeah so uh it's more of like a thought experiment to do with uh how you program self-driving cars and uh yeah so basically imagine you're on a road in a self-driving car and there's a hgv in front of you and a big heavy object falls off the hgv you've got no control of the car obviously because it's self-driving and the self-driving car has to, it's got three decisions. Either it continues straight and it, it's, there's a likelihood of it killing its passengers, or 
it swerves to the left and hits an SUV that could have multiple people in it, but it's got a relatively high safety rating, or it swerves to the right and hits a motorist, a motorcyclist, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only one person, but he's much more likely to be killed. What do you do? So that's actually, that's really interesting because if we were driving the car and it wasn't self-driving, say we hit the motorcyclist and we killed them, that would be, it would be counted as a reaction. You don't have time to make a decision, it's a reaction. But when it's a self-driving car, the car actually makes a decision. And that decision is created by a programmer sometimes months, even years ago. Um, and that really creates a dilemma for programmers. Because mm. what, what do you enable, what do you let the car do? Because if you do choose to always hit, say, a motorcyclist, because it'll produce less damage on your own vehicle and mean that you'll be safer than, say, hitting the car on your left, then that could count as premeditated murder. Mm. Whereas if and you always... Yeah, go on. It's, it's difficult to track who to blame in an accident like that. Because do you blame the programmer who programmed it or the policymaker who decided that the robot was the self-driving car was going to be that way or the governments for even allowing self-driving cars on the road or the, dr the driver, even though it's not driving? <clears throat> like, who do you blame? Yeah. Yeah, because there will always be a certain bias in the car, say, to always protect the person driving or say to always ensure that the most lives are saved as possible. So it could always say, always hit the motorbike because it'll always protect the car as much as possible and whoever's driving it. Or it could always hit another car because I mean, there'd be less, less chance of anyone actually dying, even though there could be substantial vehicle damage. So yeah, mm. would you choose, would you choose a car that was say programmed to always protect the driver as much as possible? Or would you choose a car that was programmed to save as many lives as possible. And I mean, it gets even more interesting if you consider other scenarios. So imagine it's a similar setup, except on your left, you've got a motorcyclist with a helmet on. And on your right, you've got a motorcyclist without a helmet on. Mm. Who do you choose? If you hit the motorcyclist with a helmet on, then they're more likely to survive, but they're being penalized for proper road safety. Yeah. And then if if you if the motorcyclist knew, oh, I'm more likely to get hit by a self-driving car if I'm wearing a helmet, no one would wear helmets. But then if you hit the motorcyclist without a helmet on, you're dealing out street justice. Yeah. Because it's like you're not wearing a helmet, therefore you deserve to die. Mm, that's very true. Yeah, so would it almost be better for the car to just make a random decision or reaction instead of specifically mm. choosing but it's better if it always say one time went left, one time went right. Whereas personally, I don't think that would be a good idea because even though people say it's just a reaction, if a human was driving, I think there's always an element, like you, you always have the chance to choose. It's never just swing the steering wheel left, swing the steering wheel right. There's always that split, se split second that you have mm. a chance to kind of choose Especially if you've been paying attention to the road before the accident happens, you should be aware of who's on your left, who's on your right. You could, mm. couldn't, maybe it's not a car, maybe it's a, you know, a big barrier on one side or a wall and there's another vehicle on the other side. What do you choose? 
Mm. So I don't think it would be I don't think it would be a good idea to just have it as randomized. There has to always be some form of decision. But mm. actually creating that decision would be so hard because do you just leave it over to a programmer or does a programmer they need to work with I don't know philosophers to study the real ethical ethical dilemma and I mean it gets even more interesting what if what if the car started analyzing who was in the car what if the queen was in the car you think well of course I'm not going to kill the queen Killing the queen and its occupants might be the scenario where the most lives are saved. Yeah. That is you true. know, what if the president was in the car? What if, you know, children were in the car, old people? The, it, there's so many variables. Yeah. And the more variables introduced, just the harder it gets. So I think it's better if they just, with the technology, obviously, like, they're actually, it's like a real world problem now that they've got to be dealing with for the future as well it'd be better the less variables they know the easier it is to make a decision so if they just completely rule out who's driving the car because that's just a, a common ethical question as well you know would you kill the old person would you kill the young person mm. and there's never a right or a wrong answer for that so if it's better if you just don't include that at all but yeah i can, I can see to be honest in the future there being scandals for companies say if they were really able to know kind of who was in the car and that became a factor. That would be scary. You could always imagine that as some part of some, you know, communistic government, a government that really mm. like controlling its people and knew exactly where everyone was at all times. It's scary, though, because that's what companies nowadays, I mean, my phone probably knows exactly where I am at all times. Mm. And, yeah, if you're not being careful, it's just and a matter of time if- before that kind of information gets factored into important decisions. And if, if that kind of information gets to like a, a nefarious government, mm. they might start ruling out people that have different political views. Or if you, oh, you don't support this party, your, your, your likelihood of getting killed by the self-driving car is, goes up. Yeah. You know, it's, it gets very tricky. Obviously, just to say, Self-driving cars are a wonderful invention, and the, the whole idea behind it is to minimize human error. They'll just reduce so many road accidents. Yeah. They'll just be, the, the roads will be a much safer place. But when you're programming them, you have to think about these ethical decisions. Yeah, because all accidents aren't just caused by say the driver's fault it can often be say an accident like something breaks on another car or yeah the engine breaks or something falls off it but then yeah i think though people might make too much of a deal out of it because if self-driving cars really become have the potential to become what the companies are planning out setting them out for to be you know fully self-driving and that the amount of accidents they'll be stopping even if the accidents did happen, we're maybe saying more likely to be deadly. It would mm. still be such a vast reduction in, in, in crashes. Yeah. And road safety would be so improved. I think that's still years and years away because for it to really work, most cars, or if not all cars, have got to be driverless. So they can all be yeah. connected and all be communicating. And that way, 
there's a real possibility of, of almost, you know, 100% road safety. When it's yeah. just relying on cars around you, obviously there can be natural accidents, stuff like that, but if it's just relying on the cars around you, if they're all communicating, they know exactly where they all are. Yeah, they kind of have spatial awareness. They can sense where every other car around them is. That would reduce so many other accidents. Because mm. it doesn't rely on, you know, human making the choice or having to constantly focus because the car is always focused on what's around it. It's always sensing what's communicating with the other cars. Mm. And then in the situation of the hay bale, obviously it is a thought experiment, mm. but imagine quickly communicating with the other car saying, oh, you got to move out the way because I'm going to swerve because there's a hay bale. The yeah, other car, the car speeds up, swerves, and then boom. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. safe. But that, yeah, that's when you really need to, all cars to be driverless. Because if there's even one or two cars that don't, aren't able to communicate, then it just causes even more accidents. So that kind of, that kind of programming can only happen when all cars have the capability of being driverless. Yeah. It's an interesting future. It is. To be, it's quite uh, scary, considering. I think, to be honest. I prefer, yeah. I, I prefer the future more when when we're able to rely like, on ourselves more instead of on intelligence like that. But I find it quite kind of unnerving. A lot of people do. Yeah. What's more people find unnerving is robots replacing jobs. That's another one of those things that everyone goes on about. And, you know, you, you actually sent me a link, you know, fill in your job title and see what percentage chance there is of your job being replaced. And I put in Gardner and it came up with a like 95% chance. And it's like, to be honest, if you actually look at it, it's a load of nonsense. Mm, that's my, that's my of, personal view. A lot of these things are quite biased, yeah. It's a load of nonsense because I was, I was looking at the, the study you sent me as well from Kinski Global Institute and it was saying, the jobs that are easily, easily being able to be replaced by, say, artificial intelligence, and a lot of these jobs already have, say, processing data or collecting data, they were both over 60% chance of being replaced completely by AI. And that makes sense because those are really easy jobs. And it's just, yeah, working for a lot of data, processing it. And that's the kind of stuff. There's not much unpredictability to it. It's all the yeah. same over and over again, and that's why you can really program a computer and artificial intelligence to actually do it. Whereas, say things with gardening, it's so much of it is unpredictable. I just find I'm. It's just I can. It's yeah. I just don't think it's possible for it to ever be fully replaced by robots. It's just so much unpredictability. Even other job jobs like bricklaying. You know, they built a, a bricklaying robot, and they said that's it. You know can work say five times faster than a bricklayer but it's only really good on massive projects where they're building you know the walls to a warehouse and these huge tall walls massive in length and it's just the mm. same thing over and over again there's no you know corner stuff like that see a lot of these a lot of these machines that use ai um they're only good for really really predictable stuff and as soon as there's any factor of unpredictability in it they can't, they, they're not able to cope. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, AI are, the AIs, they're really good at what they do. 
mm. except that's it. Like yeah. data analysis, they they absolutely kill it. Except they can't do anything else. That's just that's what they've been trained to do. That's what they do day in day out, and we're very grateful for that. Except, you know, you, I think what a lot of people think is that one day all these artificial intelligences are going to come together and form this kind of general intelligence. Yeah, yeah. But this world is so vastly complex. Like the amount of the amount of data you'd have to process just to understand a simple concept like gravity that yeah. you know we understand from when we're just a few weeks old. Like that's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, humans are absolutely amazing, and it's almost ridiculous to be able to imagine that a robot or AI could be able to do what we can do because they don't have you know common sense or abstract reasoning or curiosity they just know stuff and then they can learn through predictability um yeah Mm. they can only really do limited learning and it's a, a kind of pattern recognition which is masqueraded as understanding that's really what they're all about it's just recognizing patterns over and over and over again and they get better at it and better at it when, with human help but that's not it's not real understanding can't compete with the human mind at all mm. i don't think it ever will be able to yeah a lot of people think it will no and you know who knows what the future holds that a lot of technologies they just they spiral so quickly out of the, the grasp of reality yeah, and then when it actually comes to reality, we're like, "Whoa, that's cool." Yeah, and then we just move on. But AIs, they're actually in in the day to day world, they are saving lives every single day. Mm. I I read a a study recently um, about a image recognition AI that they trained for recognizing cancer in like MRI scans and things like that. And for, for like diagnosing, does this person have cancer? Does it not? Yeah. Do they not? It's not a, not a gene. <clears throat> and turns out the AI could had similar correct diagnosis rates as a doctor would, a human doctor. Wow. Like it's about 90% they, they get it right. Yeah. But turns out, right? If the AI works together with the doctor, you get a much higher positive identification. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's only when they collaborate that really amazing things happen. Because it's, it's, like, the AI can recognize things that the doctor can't, and the doctor can notice things that the AI can't. Yeah. Like the, an AI recently managed to detect... Uh, a tumor in someone's body four years before it developed. Oh, wow. Four years. It, it saw, it somehow saw the telltale signs. I was like, this person's going to have a tumor. And four years later, they got a tumor in that exact spot. This wow. blows my mind. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think they'll, I don't think AI will ever take most human jobs, but I think they'll definitely help us do them a lot better. And that's what a lot of mm. people, a lot of people get caught that, you know, oh, they'll take all the jobs. 
but really we should see AI as kind of like a helpmate instead of something that will do everything for us because it never will. Well, it'll always need us. And the more we use it, the more we'll need it. Mm-hmm. In the modern And I mean, it's not, just, it's not just AI when we talk about automation. It's any form of uh, technology or machine that automates a process so mm. that we don't have to do it. And I mean, yeah. if you think about like bank tellers, that was one of the biggest industries to be automated. The ATM was such a huge, huge thing yeah. in the, back in the 1970s. And it replaced almost a third of bank tellers within like a year, just like that. Oh. Yeah. But then, this is the crazy thing. People... Most people think automation, it just, it just takes away jobs. But in reality, if you give it a few years after the automated process has been introduced, yeah. you get increased profits because it's increased productivity. And it's often also cheaper to, uh, you know, to hire the robot than yeah. it is to hire a human. Yeah, it's the difference. You get obviously there's jobs that are substituted by automation, but there's a lot of jobs that are complemented by automation and they can use AI with such benefits to help them do their job better, like you said with doctors, say diagnosing cancers or tumors. So we need to also look on the plus side, not just kind of live in fear of all oh, this terrible AI which will steal all the jobs, but also kind of what benefits it brings and how it complements so many jobs and helps us our jobs so much better yeah and i mean in the case of bank tellers the as a result of this increased profit increase in profits the banks were able to open more branches and then mm-hmm. they hired more bank tellers because you need people to run the banks yeah and it's it's funny because the nature of the job of a bank teller it changed so dramatically because it used to be all about just oh this is how much money you've got in your account. Here's your cash, etc. Right? I'm going to yeah. cash this check for you, blah, blah, blah. Now that's all done by an ATM. And a bank teller's job is more forming a relationship with a customer, uh, you know, s- selling them new products like credit cards and yeah, helping, and help, helping them with problems instead of, instead of actually just kind of providing a service. Mm. Because, but it's also a lot of a generational divide because there's a lot of people who will still go into the bank, older people, you know, cash in their check, withdraw their money. All the younger generations, they'll just go to the ATM, you know, withdraw their money, put in their check. I mean, checks are really, I don't think, I think I've received maybe one check in my entire life. Checks are pretty redundant these days, but, mm. you know, they can deposit money in the wall, they can withdraw money in the wall, and then everything else is online. And you only really go to the bank if you've got a problem. The only times I've ever been to the bank is if you know I've got to set up a new bank account, there's been an issue with my bank account, and my card's been blocked, something like that. And that one time I was uh, suspected of, of fraud. There, I forget that. <laughs> the high level security threat on my account. I was like, what? Yeah, that was that was the only time I've ever run to the bank before it was before it closed down, <laughs> for closing time. Yeah. But yeah. No, AI does substitute some jobs, but it complements so many more and potentially mm. can cause and create many more as well. 
And I mean, it's, it increases like the skill, the skill level of the job as well. You know, it's, it's removing all this mundane, mm. repetitive tasks. And it's saying, no, you need to focus on human stuff, like building relationships. That's yeah. a very human task. You can't get a robot to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. I had a list of some jobs that uh, they claim automation can never really take over. It was just like managing people, applying expertise interfacing with people, caring for people, or like unpredictable physical work. Those are the kind of things, a lot of it, but it's people-based. Just robots will never be able to replace. Say for a nurse or a teacher, where you need that human connection to be able to learn or to uh, receive relief. That could just never yeah. be replaced by a robot. And if it did, I think it would be a, a very, very sad, sad world. Like in uh, the film Wally. But they're in the, the by and large spaceship. And there's a robot mm-hmm. is like A is for Apple. B is yeah, for yeah. by and large. Your friend. <laughs> and all the babies are just sitting there in their beds like I don't we'll never reach that point. And if we do, it'll be not the kind of world I don't want to live in anyway, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, what a film though. No, Isaac, it's a classic. <laughs> it's, a cl- it's strange how our idea of I kind of our idea of ideals can change so much mm. because I think what were people thinking, you know, 200 years ago, if they knew what life would be like right now, you know, everyone, most yeah. people or in the Western world, at least, you know, most people own houses, cars, they can travel everywhere independently. They can speak to people across the world. Would they, would they want a future like that? Who knows? Yeah. Do yeah. we want the future that people, you know, predict where everything's automated? I don't. Maybe when it's here, I'll, I'll love it. Who knows? Yeah. This is weird. Humans are, humans are freaky, man. They're really freaky. Humans are just, just weird things. <laughs> Especially I've you. never understood them. I've never understood them. Just like me, yeah. <laughs> That's because you're the weirdest <laughs> of them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All six nine of you. (laughs) 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 Right. Oh, dear. I don't know why it's so funny. It's not funny. Uh, It's not funny. Okay. Back on track. Back on topic. That's what it is. You put on the list that that maybe mentioned was robotics in war. I did no research on this whatsoever, so it's it's all over to you. I'm handing you Robots in war is such an interesting topic robots in war a monologue by samuel scott <laughs> it is by no means a monologue um yeah it's give, us, like, give us some interesting interesting discussion points or just things that we can ponder in our minds so like do do we allow a robot the ability to kill another human yeah do we do we how much control do we give them in a certain situation at the expense of saving a human life? Yeah, well, that's, that's the exact same kind of dilemma that was with a self-driving car. How much control? Mm. Because inevitably, it's always a human who makes a decision, but the robot just kind of enacts it under various circumstances. So if we do really give the, the robot that power, we've got to be one step ahead, and you've got to really think about every single potential circumstance that could happen. 
Yeah. And it's just not possible, I think, to effectively... Certainly in a war zone, that is one of the most unpredictable places on Earth. Yeah, especially, especially modern war, because, I mean, back in the day, you know, World War One, it's just people sitting across from each other in trenches. It was so much simpler, whereas now most war is war on terrorism. Mm. And you really need human to use their intuition and just the great mind that we have to be able to react to the circumstances, predict things. Yeah. I just don't think what could do that. I mean, current day standards for military robotics is that the human always, always pulls the trigger. It's Mm. never, ever a computer system thinking, making the decision to pull the trigger. It's even like things like the Predator drones. They're controlled by people way back in America, even though they're flying over the Middle East. Yeah. It's, it's always a human that pulls the trigger to send that missile. And it's always, it's always a human decision. Because then it's back to the uh, thing of accountability. Then who's it's just, like... Who's, who's inevitably who's responsible. responsible? Yeah. But then it's, it's, it's war ethical anyway. <laughs> That's another... <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. No, but with the Predator drones, I remember watching a documentary about that and it was just these completely nondescript uh, shipping containers in some military base back in England. And inside the whole thing was just kitted out with computers and there's all these guys sitting with headsets on watching from the mm-hmm. Predator drones. And then it was the story of this guy, you know, was watching all these people entering a house and he knew one of the people was uh i think it was i think it was at that point it was taliban taliban suspect it wasn't isis um he's watching all those people go in and he was like okay right i've got to make the decision he had to go ahead to pull the trigger he was just waiting and then he seen some more people go in and then some people outside and he was like wait a moment what, what am i looking at so he looked at it again and he was like no it's definitely a suspect him and a different bunch of men and then he looked at it from a different angle and he realized that's not even adults, that's just a bunch of kids. And the house was full of kids. And the suspect was in there. But with the suspect was a whole bunch of kids. And because he was looking at a camera from a high up angle, he was flying about in this drone, he couldn't see that clearly. And he knew the suspect was in, but if he pulled the trigger, you know, five seconds earlier, yeah. he would have literally blown up a house with a terrorist, but a whole bunch of kids. Yeah. And it's just how really accurate can we be with all this technology, even though we got the ability to use it? How uh, how useful actually yeah. is it? Doesn't mean we should use it, even yeah. if just because we can. That is very true. And I mean, yeah. this is this is why uh, humans. I think humans will always be essential for, particularly in things like war. It's because it's mm. always got to be a human making the decision, saying, right, we're going to do this drone strike. Even if it's the robots that are actually performing the action, it's yeah. always got to come back to the human making the decision. So there's someone to lay the blame on, mm. I guess. I've always got to hold someone accountable. I mean, wars, wars are against other humans aren't they it's a human human or a a whole nation against another nation and that's what war is all about rather than just oh 
let's let's fight these two because if if we're just using robots for our entire military system we're literally just fighting robots against other robots and then it just turns into you know robot wars all over again <laughs> that's what war is war is now it's about you destroying as many of their troops as much as their military vehicles defense mm. positions as possible maybe a lot of their infrastructure as well bombing their roads their gas stations stuff like that and then forcing them to surrender mm. that's what war but is then it's so interesting technically because... it could be robots against robots because once you've destroyed say you've destroyed most of their robots and they can't produce more you've weakened them so much that they can't put up a good defense anymore and that's the point where you get to mm. where do they surrender or not so technically it yeah. could be robot against robot and it's interesting because it switches the whole perspective in terms of like military strength. Because mm. now military strength is, would be judged by how, how well you can engineer robots and vehicles and, you know, drone strikes and things rather than, oh, we've got 20,000 men, we've got 50,000 men, whatever. Yeah, it's like true. We've got, you know, an advanced drone strike system. You've got a few grenades. I think the perfect example of that is uh, Israel and like the Seven Day War and a couple of other wars, the Yom Kippur War, when it was literally most of the Middle East, you know, Yemen, Egypt, Syria, all those different countries, Iraq, all the different countries around them, all fighting against them. But Israel was always one step ahead, had better planes a lot of the time, they had better tactics. And it wasn't just how many people they had, it was just how they used and utilize, say, the equipment they did have. And every single time they won their wars, mm -hmm. completely, and even managed to, you know, steal huge parts of land or reclaim them, as some people would say, I don't know. But, yeah, and you get to the point until they had a stable nation. And even though they've not got that many soldiers, now they've really taken it so they're always one step ahead. They've got amazing spy systems, um, amazing technology. Their tanks are some of the most advanced in the world. You've got, you know, like the, what's it, the Golden Dome and a rocket system around like half of Jerusalem. Stuff like that. They're always just one step ahead. And even though the countries around them might have hundreds of thousands, even more soldiers than them, if your technology isn't up to match, then people are nothing compared to, you know, F-16 yeah. that are completely kitted out or a surveillance system or spy system that can always, you know, know what's next step you're going to take and always counteract. Mm. So, yeah. No, but, I mean, wars really changed. It used to just be a huge group of people in one area, fighting a huge group of people in that same area, you know, like the trenches or the Second World yeah. War. It was those huge fronts, and you knew exactly, you know, this is where our positions are, right along this line of the coast, say, that's where your positions are. Whereas all the modern wars, or the ones where the Western world's really gotten involved in in the past, you know, 30, 20 years, it's all been against terrorists. And there's never been a clear, usually, apart from with ISIS. ISIS was definitely really had taken over land. But before that, like the Taliban, it was kind of pockets of resistance here and there. And that's really kind of redefined what war is. And I, and I, mean, I, I never think technology. There will be another... Go on. Technology really is at the forefront when it comes to the military. Like the military mm. 
drives technology. You know, like GPS, global positioning system, that was developed by the military because they need to keep track of their troops all around the world. Yeah. And so, so many, so many examples of technology being developed by the military for use by the military. But then they were like, you know what? We could sell this and make even more money. Yeah, later there's like huge civilian applications as well. Like yeah. during World, World War Two and World War One, unbelievable advances. And, you know, that's when it really started industrialization and just producing stuff on a huge scale because they had it for the mm. war effort, you know, in America producing their bombers and their tanks on such a huge scale. And then that moved on after the war and the factories knew, you know, instead of it just being a couple of people, you know, different areas, handcrafting, say nuts and bolts now, they could have factories that would produce millions in a single day. And that mm. kind of revolutionized the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been reading a book recently about the history of like precision engineering. Mm. And it's just uh, the, the rate at which technology advances is, is astonishingly fast. Like it's accelerating all the time. It's an exponential yeah. curve. But it, during war, during war, it just goes off the charts. Oh, yeah. That's when we make some of the biggest advances in technology because we have to. Oh, yeah. We have to. Always be one step ahead. Cool. This has been a really interesting discussion. Wow, that was that was thanks abrupt. for thanks for chatting. <laughs> that was really abrupt. <laughs> I did not see that coming, but yeah, no, I think that that was a good chat. Just mm. make sure you edit that well. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> right, thanks and, for listening, uh, folks. Adios. We'll have another we'll have another podcast that next week sometime. So, mm. see you later. <laughs>